Welcome to the Exponential Podcast, where we help you live the life of a multiplier. Our mission is to empower you to take your life, leadership, and impact to the next level. In each episode, we'll explore strategies and insights to help you multiply your influence and calling in the world for Jesus. Today's episode is from Exponential 2023's Global Conference in Orlando, where we brought together some of the world's top leaders and innovators to share their insights and expertise. To experience more conversations like this, be sure to check out our upcoming events at Exponential.org. My name is Aaron Barnett. I'm the Next Gen Catalyst for Exponential. I think we, if you were in the main session, uh, the end main session of last night, uh, we talked about that we're putting a focus on Next Gen at Exponential. We had our first ever two-day event, Monday and Tuesday. And so we were dreaming up of, hey, what does it look like to actually galvanize the next generation around church planning? And so we're moving forward with a Bring One campaign. And so as we go into 2023, into 2024, we just want to empower you to be leaders that push into multiplication and discipleship. And so as we gear up to into 2024, if you are coming back to Exponential next year, we would love for you to bring some young leaders with you, ages 18 to 30. I'm going to pass it over to my wife to introduce herself as well. Good morning. <clears throat> wow. <clears throat> Clearly it is the morning. Um, my name is Hannah Gronowski Barnett, and I'm the CEO and founder of a nonprofit called Generation Distinct. And we're using conversations around passion, purpose, and justice to bring the next generation into conversations about Jesus, the gospel, and the Great Commission. And I'm really honored by this time with both of you. Uh, you are leaders I deeply respect, and I know that we all have a lot to learn from. Uh, this is kind of, in some ways, like the the pregame chat, right? I feel like I'm on ESPN with the athletes before they're about to go on stage, right? You're with me. You're like, yes, I would watch that. And we get to kind of figure out what's in their head before they're going on stage, which is going to be really fun. And so here's how this is going to work. Uh, we're going to go ahead and launch us off with a couple of questions um, just to get the conversation going. But ultimately, we want this to be a space where you all can ask questions to Albert Tate and Faith Cho. And so how you can do that is by using this Slido fancy program we have behind us. You can go ahead and scan the QR code behind you or go to slido.com, put in the code 1903623, and then drop your questions. These are questions from a past session. But go ahead and, and also include your name. We're going to ask for a name because we would love to run a microphone over to you. Our friend Jensen is going to help us with that. And then you can introduce who you are, what you do, and then ask your question. Sound good? We have like one guy. What's your name? Blake, Blake is with us today. <laughs> I love it. All right. Um, Faith and Albert, why don't you just give a brief introduction of who you are, and then we'll jump into the conversation. Absolutely. It's an honor to be here. My name is Faith Cho. Uh, my husband and I, we are church planters in northern New Jersey. We planted Mosaic Covenant Church. Um, I'm also the CEO and founder of the Honor Summit, and we serve Asian American women of the church. Um, four kids and two dogs. Oh, wow. How old are your kids? They are 6, 7, 9, and 11. Six, 
seven, nine, eleven. Wow. <laughs> so this is vacation. You know what I'm saying? This is vacation. <laughs> this is not work. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, Albert Tate, we, uh, my wife and I plan at Fellowship Church, um, right outside of Pasadena, California in Monrovia, uh, in the Los Angeles, uh, area. We're originally from Mississippi. Um, and uh, we've been doing that. We just celebrated 11 years uh, church uh, for our church plant. So excited about that. We also have four kids, um, 16, 14, wow. 11, and 4. Um, and we don't have any animals. We got too many kids, too many kids for animals. Now, and we love, love Exponential uh, and love the work we get to do. So, so glad to be here with you all. So good. Thank you all for joining. Um, just to kick it off, uh, both of you all do a lot of ministry work. Uh, you guys both travel. You're in a lot of different spaces and places. Uh, you know, we have a lot of church planners here, ministry leaders. Ministry sometimes takes a lot of you. And while you're walking through the journey of ministry, you know, sometimes when it comes down to evangelism or going into the world and uh, spreading the love of Jesus. How do you guys balance both the demand of ministry, but then also press into personal evangelism? And what does that kind of look like for you both? Okay, okay, okay. Um, so actually, I love that question. Um, an example, just an illustration. I think, um, so during our... During 2020, that's when we started our church planting journey. Um, and I'm saying this because we're in a smaller setting here. But uh, And, you know, when you're church planting, you have a dream for your region. You want to build the church. Um, you're fundraising, and you're just in it, right, for the sake of evangelism and so on and so forth. Now, 2020, you know what? All the hair salons were closed. Um, so every blonde Asian suffered greatly. <laughs> Um, it was tough. It was rough, y'all. It was like our roots were up to here. Like It was like a whole thing. But, you know, I was like, oh, I'm a church planter. I can't, you know, I'm not going to go to the salon. I'm going to save it for the Lord, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then um, I remember around August, I was like, God, this just ain't it. Like, it, it was just bad. It's a ratchet. I'm like, people are being distracted from the glory of God because of this. Like, I just need you to do something. And I really felt the Lord lead me like just kind of I just felt him tell me you're gonna get your hair done next month and you're gonna love it and there's somebody I want you to meet and I remember thinking okay and every hair salon because they just reopened they were all booked um and so I'm like thinking well I must have heard wrong long 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 story very short um he led me to book at this salon in Soho in New York which I resisted all the way to the end Right. Like I got no business going to this salon. It's all like models and influencers. And I'm just like, I don't think I heard this right. And the only slot that I had that they had available was with like the senior stylist. Right. And I'm like, nah, I don't get, I'm just a church planter. I'm a pastor. I guess I got no business going to this person. But I really felt the Lord say like, no, there's somebody I want you to meet. And but the whole time I was also thinking about money. Um, and it's so funny because during that time, a friend of mine Venmoed me like this fat amount. And I'm like, and I felt God say, that's for your appointment. And I told God, there ain't no way I'm going to tell my husband that I'm going to use this money for my hair. Because we got rents. We got, and I told God, you tell my husband 
and then I'll go to this appointment. I resisted him all the way because I was thinking practicality, money, going all the way to Soho to meet the, you know, I just didn't think it was right. You know, right? Sometimes fear feels like wisdom, right? Um, and I remember, uh, we were, my husband and I, we were praying with a friend and this friend was like, Dave, what, what is the Lord telling you right now? You know, we we're praying for our church and my husband was like, I feel like God is telling me to send my wife to go get her hair done. And I was like, well, but, well, I have so I got the money. You know, I just didn't, you know, and so long story short, I ended up sitting in this chair for three hours with this hairstylist that hated Christians, hated Christians. But the whole, and I, but I felt God's rebuke by like, um, right before I left because I kept on complaining. I'm like, but God, but tip garage fees. And this is during when like times when Asians were being killed in New York. So I was just like, I don't want to die. Like it was, I had all these things and I just felt the Lord was saying, don't you know, like I got you covered. Like he, you know, I have like, you're worried about money. I'm worried about this person. Like you're concerned about finances, you're concerned about time, like you're being too practical. I have a person I want you to meet. So for three hours I sat in this chair listening to this woman hate on every Christian that's like, she, she's like, I hate Republicans, Republicans are all Christian, blah, blah, blah. And, she, and this whole time I'm like, she don't know what I do. I'm so afraid for her. To, I'm like, I think she's going to kick me out. But long story short, we ended up having this long-term relationship. And every time I see her, she always says, you're the only Christian pastor I'll listen to. She sends people to my church. Right. And so even though she's still like, you know, not really Christian, like she listens to me and we we spend time together like at least twice a year. And we I pray for her. And that's just that's just my, you know, just hearing the voice of God keeps me accountable to make sure I evangelize. Yeah. Well, the, the pandemic was was also very hard on bald black men. Um, uh, having to figure out how to shave our own heads and how to get the back, you know what I mean? So spouses were enlisted into that work. Um, no, I, um, I'm, I'm going to say something that's, that someone said to me, and when they said it to me, I did not like it. It was very irritating to hear, but the more I sit in it, the more right they are, and it's frustrating um, because the Holy Spirit is now using it to irritate me on a regular basis. Um, so as the Holy Spirit is irritating me, so shall I invite him to irritate you. Um, they mentioned like balance and ministry and personal evangelism. And this guy, his name is Kenton B. Shore. He's pastor's uh used to pastor Mariner's Church out in Orange County in California. And when he says it, I, I just didn't like the way that it sounded. And I don't think you're going to like it either. But what he said was, ministry does damage to the family. And I just didn't like that. Like, the ministry is beautiful. It's sweet. He says, yeah, it's all that. But it does damage to the family. And he says, the sooner you can be honest about that, the sooner you can be honest about having, the sooner you can be intentional about having a plan to replenish and restore your soul from the damage. So he talks about how 
and you just think about it, it just does damage. Like try to get from the church door to your car with your kids and not get stopped 15 times. Nobody's malicious, but it's beautiful. But think about what the effect that that has on your kids. Church is like uh, Groundhog's Day, the place that they can never leave. Uh, They're the last ones there. Um, They have to sacrifice um, Sundays and other friends are going to brunch or got soccer games and stuff like that. Um, The church becomes a whole part of your life. It becomes a whole thing. It does damage on your marriage, your spouse, and what they have to navigate through. And when everybody likes you, your spouse is great. This is amazing. But what about when they got complaints against the leader? How does that how does that affect them? And and you kind of keep on going. It's like, oh well, that's par for the course. But my wife's sitting there rolling her eyes, like, yeah, I got a par for your course, all right. <laughs> so like it does it does damage. And what Kenton would say is. You've got to be intentional. You can't vacation like regular people. You can't take breaks like regular people. you got to vacation in a way that restores and replenishes the damage and repairs the damage that's been done through ministry because next year is going to do that again. So you need to give your kids certain, be intentional about giving them certain precious gifts and treasures and saying, hey, the church is blessing us to be able to go and do this because of the sacrifices that our family makes for the church. And connect those dots. We took a trip to New York, and we all flew first class. Everybody. Everybody was first class. And my kids ain't never been in first class. They probably never be up there again. But they. But I I made sure, I said, we're able to fly like this on this long flight, because it takes forever to get to New York, um, this long flight, and we're able to go, and we went to Broadway and do, did plays. We said, we're able to do this because the church really loves us. They really appreciate our family, and they're doing this to intentionally invest in who we are and gift us. So I connected the dots because they see the damage that the church does, but helping them connect to see the blessing that the church is and being intentional about replenishing your soul. My wife and I was able to take some time off just for she and I. As well. So you just got to vacate. You got to think about how do I restore my soul um, and saying that to say coming back around to personal evangelism. I, I've just unapologetically decided my first priority for personal evangelism is my family um, and them being able to see me live out this gospel in a way that's beautiful and winsome and winning. And then from there, our sphere of um uh, our neighbors and our friends, but I, I've relieved myself from a lot of pressure to try to knock out, you know, like the person that sits on me on the plane. By the time we land, I'm trying to have them in heaven. Nah, Lord, I'll, I'll water, but somebody else is going to need to see and, you know, let Faith go get her hair done where they work and then she'll bring them in, you know, but be, be careful of the pressure and don't go back and feel like you got one more thing to add. And try to try to integrate it into a lifestyle and a rhythm that allows you to be a witness in all the spaces that you're in. But guard your soul because it's not it's not balance. Balance is not a word in what we do. Damage is though. Um, and if you can here's here here it is. If you can balance the damage with intentional Sabbath rest and time of restoration then I feel like you'll be able to finish ministry well. But if you just take the damage but not intentional 
about recognizing that you got a vacation different. You got to take care of your soul different. You're not like your friends that sell insurance and who's a nurse. You just got a different lifestyle. Just, nobody's coming in a grocery store when you're trying to buy a bottle of wine. I mean, a bottle of um, uh, a, a water. <laughs> talking about pray for my great aunt who getting a hip replacement next week. Like nobody stops you in Trader Joe's and, and does that if you're not in ministry. So we've just got a different lifestyle. Got to do that. All right. If these answers are this long, we're only going to get to two questions. So I'll try, hey, I'll try to cut it down. This is going to be good, though. Yeah. This is good, though, right? Wow. I thought it was good. There we go. I thought it was good. Um, all right. Let's jump into these questions. Uh, the top one. This is fantastic. Faith, can you tell us some of the challenges you've overcome as a young woman in ministry? There's none of those, right? Um, and how you can, or how you continue to pave the way. Oh man, that's um that's like a conference topic. You know, that's I feel like there's a lot of layers to that. Um let's see. How some of the challenges. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of layers to it because not only am I a woman, I started ministry when I was 19, um and also I'm a woman of color. Also I'm Asian, so I look 10 years younger than I am. You know, um and so oftentimes that comes with a lot of uh, different expectations and different approaches to me as a leader, blah, blah, blah. I think, honestly, when it comes down to it, for me, it was learning how to love God's voice more than my own. Uh, because I think at the end of the day, it could you could find yourself just fighting for yourself and fighting for your voice, fighting for your rights. But at the end of the day, Jesus called me to lay down my rights. The only hill I'm going to die on is for the gospel, not for my name. You know, and I know that's very, it doesn't sound feminist or women's ministry like, but it's true. It's just the truth. You know, at the end of the day, I'm just called to steward the voice of God and I will steward my voice. It's up to God to decide who hears it, you know? Um, and so that's what I do. And I, and I do the, do the uncomfortable and I do the awkward, uh, you know, being oftentimes the only female or the only person of color or, you know, and I do the awkward, um, until one day it doesn't, I have four kids, three of them are girls, you know, and a lot of my vision behind, especially the honor summit and the nonprofit that we do, um, it's, um, envisioning the world that my daughters can grow up in, you know, and I find that for women, for or at least for men, when they feel called, they just start the race. For women, it's like we go through a maze of trying to figure ourselves out and trying to understand what's permissible, what's not, our gifting, our identity, and then we run the race. I'm just trying to shorten that maze so that they could just run their race. Yeah. That's so good. Thanks, Faith. Um, Albert, I have a quick question for you. Um, one thing that I love with uh, conversations like this are, you know, sometimes you don't get to be in proximity to leaders that um, you look up to, you respect. Um, and one thing that I lo- would love for you to just talk about is what do you spend a lot of your time just like thinking about? What do you spend a lot of time? What goes a lot on in your mind as a leader? Um, well, I think I, I spend a lot of time thinking about Lazda. Um, but I think, so two things. I think about my own, I've been thinking a lot about my own personal blind spots. Um, 
sometimes your giftings are so so significant and they carry you so far that your blind spots don't get shucked as they need to. So really investing in relationships and friendships that can help me see what I can't see, even about me. You know, you know what I mean? So spending a lot of time processing that in therapy and with people that we love, asking hard questions. Because y'all know people who are, who are big, um, in space, big in personality, big in voice, big in all that. A lot of times people just be like, yeah, they just doing that thing. I'm not going to tell them their pants is unzipped. It's just too much. You know what I mean? Or I'm not going to tell them they got something under their nose. You know, it's like, uh, so people, I, I think Faith and I probably have the same people that are, are big, voice big, you know, not, not a big deal, but just big in personality. Like we're in a room, like Faith started talking. I was like, whoa, she is in the room. Hello. Like she just got a big personality and the temptation is to just assume with that level of confidence, you clearly don't need any critical feedback. Wow. So people are seldom to give you healthy feedback. So I'm learning that about myself, although I invite it. People don't give people like me critical feedback. Now, that's not an invitation to email me after my talk today. Uh, there are those that have the gift of it, and I got a special inbox for them. Um, but, but that's something that I've been thinking about. How do, how do I show up? Uh, Karen Newhoff asked a question and it's really cool and I, um, what it, what is, um, what is it like s- sitting across from me? Um, what is the experience of me? Um, and how do you experience me? And having people speak into that. So it's, so that's a, that's an interesting hard, hard space to sit in. The other thing I've been thinking a lot about is Christianity and culture and how we show up in culture. Um, and how all the wrong people have all the loud voices that are representing Christianity. And it's no wonder why the senior stylist at this salon has this perspective, um, because they just see a narrative and a stream of Christianity that I don't think any of us are really proud of. We're known way more for what we hate than who we love. Um, and I think that's very unfortunate, and I feel like we've got a lot of work to do to redeem the Christian narrative uh, or the biblical narrative of what Christianity is in culture, which is simply we are known above and beyond anything else. We should be known by our love. And I think the opposite is true right now. So I spent a lot of time thinking about how do we flip that and how do we do a better job as the church and as the body to do that? Yeah. That's a fantastic conversation. And I'm grateful to know that you're a leader who is thinking about that because I know as a, as a next generation leader, that is a really important conversation that, that we're having and to know that there are leaders who have platform and influence in the Christian community that are also having those conversations, I think is encouraging to me and inspiring. I would love to even know if you're willing to share what is maybe one thing that God or the, the Spirit is speaking to you about that? Like for those of us who, man, we want to be a part of the solution to that problem, right? We we want to be this beautiful taste in people's mouths of what the gospel is. Like we we want to leave this beautiful aroma of the gospel everywhere we go. 
in many ways that is the essence of evangelism, right? Like what is maybe some wisdom you could share, Albert, of what you've been processing that looks like in everyday life for us to be the solution? Yeah, um, as I think about um, abortion, pro-choice, pro-life, politics, we're in Florida. It's the weirdest state in the whole union. I mean, oh, my God, I'm so over Florida. Can we just cut that tip off and let them float out? You know what I mean? I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Because we have to cut Texas, too. Um, um, But even even me saying that, and MAGA, Trump, the election, DeSantis, Biden, um, some of you are already starting to hold your breath because you're like, what is he about to say? And my point is, um, oh, trans, pronouns, uh, LGBTQIA+, um, uh, being able to study African-American history in schools as an AP class. See how sensitive y'all are? Some of you are uptight already. We're too sensitive. We don't know how to, we don't know how to disagree and still show compassion. We don't know how to be offended and just keep working through it. We think we win when we can get our rights. Never in history have Christians won in culture because we got our rights or because we exercise power. We've always won in culture through our influence and through our love. That's how we win. But now I think we've got a strand of Christianity that thinks we win by fighting for our rights and trying to gain as much power as possible, which is not how we win. It's how we lose, and it's how we lose quickly. My challenge is there are places where we just don't share conviction. We just don't believe the same thing. We just don't believe the same thing. We have strong views on what should happen to a child from the womb to the tomb. We have strong views on what sexual identity is. So we we have strong convictions. My challenge and my struggle with the church is that where we don't share conviction, we usually withhold compassion. So where we don't share conviction, we'll withhold compassion. You don't believe what I believe, so I don't like you. I don't, I will get in your Facebook comment section and go off on you. I will call, I will allow people like Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and Don Lemon and Rachel Maddow to dictate and disciple how I show up more than I'll allow Jesus to. See, look, some of you are offended already. This is going to be a long day for you because I'm in the big session too, so this is not going to go well. You might want to skip out and go to Chick-fil-A. But that's my, but that's my point though. So we can't, we can't, we can't handle it because when somebody disagrees with us, we become more elephant people and more lamb people, than more lamb people. We become more donkey people than lamb people. So my prayer and my hope and what the Holy Spirit is working on me is that Albert, don't get so ticked off at people you disagree with. Can you relax? Calm down. You literally want to go in their comment section and start arguing with some dude that's got two followers living in his basement, sitting in his underwear on his laptop. Is that what you're about to give your time to right now? Are you about to go back and forth with this guy? Like, calm down. We get so angry and we don't share compassion. We withhold compassion. And God says our love goes to everybody. The angry lady at the salon, the... The, the bigot that's a racist, 
the person that's so liberal that they could liberal and, and they're both wrong. They're both they're both neither one of them are ushering in the kingdom of God. The right, the extreme right, the extreme left, the left, on the extreme side of the left, they ain't trying to, they ain't trying to acknowledge God in no kind of way. They are trying to literally run as far away from the throne of God as possible. The far right, they ain't trying to run from the throne of God. They trying to sit on the throne of God. When we both should be surrendered at the throne of God. That's, that's the call that I feel like we need to begin to show up in culture and love different and live different. And even when we don't share conviction, we still extend great compassion. Wow, that's so good. Albert, what I hear you touching on is a theme of honor, that we need to be people of honor from different, um, whether it's race, whether it's culture, whether it's politics, like how do we be people that honor well? Um, Faith you know, we have some Gen Zers in this room and, uh, you know, some level leaders that also mentor and disciple the next generation. Also, Gen Z is, you know, the future of the church. Gen Z is one of the most hunger, passionate, desperate generation of all time. So how do we, could you give some advice to senior level leaders, even Gen Zers in the room? How do we walk out the tension between honor like Albert was talking about and a generation that's hungry? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so in my time of ministry, half of it was with youth ministry. Um, and I remember like 15 years ago, you just preached the truth and that was enough. Like they'll come to the altar and they'll accept their life for Jesus. Now, um, I mean, I haven't done a youth retreat, youth or only retreat in a bit, but like the, I remember the last one I went to, um, I remember thinking, man, the times have changed. You can't just tell them the truth anymore. They don't, like, you tell them the truth and they're almost emotionally disconnected from it. Like, they, like, for us, we see growing up, when we saw one catastrophic event on the television that was enough like for years now they see it multiple times a day they're so emotionally removed from truth from facts and um you could tell them the truth you could preach at them for hours but they'll just be like sure yeah i get it but they'll be so emotionally disconnected from that and i would say more than ever before um gen z need the real thing like the Holy Spirit himself. Like, you could tell them all these testimonies, and that will help, right? But at the end of the day, they need to see Jesus, experience Jesus, taste Jesus, hear Jesus. They, they need an encounter uh, on their own. I think they're tired of hearing older people tell them what God is like. I think they themselves need it. And so our ministries need spiritual substance. You know, like actually more than information because they could Google it and they could, everything that I learned in seminary, I remember this was one class, they had uh, like a poll at the end. They're like, would you recommend this class to other people? And I said, no. And the professor came up to me, why? I'm like, I could Google all this stuff now. 
you know, and also these kids could Google all this stuff now, to be honest, right? And, and so what they need is just an actual encounter with Jesus himself. So more than the information, although information helps, and hey, if that's what sets them up for the encounter with Jesus, but we got to constantly invite Jesus into the room and set them up to experience God themselves. Powerful. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Give them Jesus. Right? It's powerful. Um, this is a question that we got. Um, what is um, what is your best advice for how you handle negative people in your church? So if there is this division, if there are these differing opinions, right, what do you do when it seems that you as the leader or the pastor or the church planner, you just can't do anything right? How do you respond? How do you stay sane? How do you stay focused on Jesus and the work that you're called to do? What, what does that look like for you, Albert? I really try to set them up with my assistant pastor. Um, <laughs> and um, Great. Take notes. You got it. That's they, your answer. But they keep quitting, so I don't... <laughs> so I got, I'm in a cycle. I can't figure it out. Um, you know what I'm learning... So I'm an eight on the Enneagram, so I'm a challenger, so that means I'm angry all the time. I'm, I'm angry right now, you know what I mean? Um, so I've had to learn that love is patient, love is kind, um, and there are some people that just require patience and kindness. Um, and most people that are really, really critical are usually are usually hurting people. <clears throat> Excuse me. And a lot of times they got a lot to say because they don't really feel seen a lot. So it's painful and it's not easy to do and I don't do it well all the time, but if you give those people a little time on a regular basis, you'll be amazed at the impact. And you try to just love them well. And then I would start um, <laughs> repeat the complaints to them while they're talking. Ah, oh, the music was too loud again. Oh, it's too many people. The kid, oh, somebody stepped on your toe. Okay. No, I'm just playing. Don't do that. It's being a jerk. Uh, that was my early church planning years. Um, no, but listen to people. See them. Don't be so quick to disregard them. Now, some people are just up to no good and just that, but even with those people, um, if they can't say nothing else, they won't ever be able to say you didn't love them well. You didn't love them and you, you didn't create space. Um, for a moment. And that's not every day or every week, you know what I mean? But just say, hey, once every six weeks, I need to sit down and listen to Sister Velma and whatever she got to say. And I'm going to buy a fruit basket. And Sister Velma, tell me, tell me what you think. And then what you should do is get ahead of her coming to you to complain. Say, Sister Velma. Could you come by the office next week? I'd love to hear your thoughts on how things are going. <laughs> She'll be so thrown off. She'll be like, oh, oh, okay, Pastor. I mean, I better come up with something. You know what I mean? Like, so there are people that are just challenging people. Take the challenge. Take the challenge and love them well. Yeah. That's good. And what that requires, though, is a very confident leader. Right? And, and not confident in the way that culture 
or even the world and even the church has defined confidence as the loud, abrasive type. But this deep confidence that can receive challenge and that it doesn't first make you doubt your identity or your calling. That the first lie that's not popping in your head is, I'm an awful leader. I should never have started doing this, right? So, Faith, you know, you're a church planner and you all are in the early stages. And so I'm sure there has been so many opinions mm-hmm. on yeah. the, the church that you all are building. What have you done in the private places? Like, wh- how have you done your internal work so that when those people come to you, it's not causing you to, to quit or to self-medicate or to, to back off your calling? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, starting off church planting and um, being a part of that journey, I realized there is no one church that everybody would love. Um, sometimes it's too small for them. Sometimes it's too big for them. And everyone's number is different, yeah. right? Uh, <clears throat> I think for me, I had to accept the tension that you could still do church with somebody or people that are not your biggest fans. You know, and I think sometimes I, you know, the, the, the temptation, especially when I get petty, right? <laughs> I could get petty, you know, but it's... um the tension is thinking, oh, because they disapprove or because they're critical, I can't pastor them. That I can't lead them and we can't do this family church thing, right? I mean, but if you look at it from a family construct, right, you have that one uncle that just says too much and you have that one aunt that's always critical, but you're still family, you know, you're still going to gather at the table, you know, and you're going to still like be a family together. I realize just because they're Critical doesn't mean I've lost them, doesn't mean I can't leave them, and doesn't mean I can't tolerate them, right? Um, as in to say, uh, if we are constantly trying to build a church with people that like us, the church can't get built. And I think I've had to accept the fact that we can still do this even if you don't approve of every single thing that I do. You know, and I had to wrestle with that tension and have peace with that tension. Yeah. That's so good. <clears throat> I think if we don't answer this question, I'd be doing a disservice to all the people that I mentor and disciple. Um, I'm pretty passionate about this, and I would love to spend some time on this. Is How do you create the bridge between the veteran leaders and the newer Gen Z leaders? I think as a young person in ministry, uh, one thing that my wife and I continually talk about is how do we create space for leaders to be at the table? But then also, how do we maximize where we're at in ministry so that we are effective for those coming behind us? And so a lot of what Hannah and I think about is having that the next generation is front of mind when we're in different places and spaces. Because those that have gone before us, Faith, you know, Albert, we stand on some of the shoulders of some of the pillars of the faith. And because of that, we have actually received some of the best gifts to step into what God has fully called us to. I would love to unpack this conversation of how do we become leaders that don't think through scarcity, don't think through 
uh, building our own castles, our own empires, and miss out on what God wants to do in the world or in the nation because we're so consumed with those coming behind us. Could we just unpack this a little bit, Albert? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a mixed bag. I think, um, I think it's important for Gen Zers to have an appreciation and the respect of the way that's been paved for them. Um, and to have an ability to articulate that and acknowledge that, that just goes a long way. Um, and I think it's important for mature, older leaders to look and see um, something that they may not understand, but God's hand is on it. So to get out of the way for it. Well, Albert, that doesn't sound biblical. It, it, it actually is. I'm glad you asked. Um, think about, think about uh, uh, Caleb and Joshua and the children of Israel. They went to spy the land. The other, the other ten didn't even see it. Caleb and Joshua was like, oh, we see it clearly. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. And they outvoted and they didn't go into it. And God rebuked them and said, all right, everybody, um, I think basically all the 40-year-olds and up, something like that, because they, they got stuck for 40 years and they couldn't go in the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb were able to go out of that generation. Here's the weird thing. For 40 years, they were still there. They were still alive. And Joshua and Caleb in the next generation still had to be discipled. So who discipled them? Who got them ready for war? The children of Israel that couldn't go in the land. They didn't see it, but they still had to disciple the next generation for a time that they would not see. I think we as older leaders have to be prepared to disciple a generation for a time that we not will not see. So what's important isn't for us to know all the cool knickknacks and stuff like that. No, just give to them what you know. We were in Egypt, and the Lord delivered us. We were hungry, and the Lord fed us. We were lost, and God guided us by fire. You just tell them of Jireh, of Jehovah. You tell them of Yeshua. You tell them who God has been, and let them begin to translate that into their generation and their understanding. I ain't going to never understand TikTok. It's just weird. I don't even go to, like, I don't know how to load it up. It comes up on my page. It's stuff people I don't even follow all up in my thing. I was like, where are your people? Where you? Where did it come from? Like, the goal isn't for you to, you don't have to respect the Gen Z by understanding TikTok or, or thinking that it's a good idea or whatever. People making millions of dollars off TikTok, it's a good idea for somebody. Just not me. I ain't making no money. You don't, don't that's not your issue. That's not, your job is not to validate whether TikTok is relevant or the next social media craze or the next no 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 no. your job is to say hey we were in egypt and jehovah brought us out on dry land we were hungry and we had manna so the older generation has to know that we are training and discipling a younger generation for a time that we will not see for a ministry that we probably won't even understand and god is perfectly okay with that because joshua and caleb were fine with that yeah yeah and Faith, I would love your thoughts. I think to that point, that's so good. I mean, even with blind Bartimaeus and the end of the chapter, you know, Jesus says your faith has made you well. And we equate sometimes sight 
with faith in that in that chapter. Yeah. But it's all about faith that your faith has made you well. And that's what I love about Jesus. So just because we do not see right now doesn't mean we will not see later. And so I just really appreciate that point of view. Faith, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, just on a practical standpoint, I think um, when we're raising up the next generation, in fear, I think honestly, uh, the fear of failure is huge right now, especially because of everything that we've seen in the church realm in the past couple of years. And so I feel as though there's so many warnings, like don't let don't let them on the pulpit unless they prove themselves in this way. Don't let them do this. Make sure the make sure they go through all these steps and make sure they learn this. Make sure they steward this and make sure. And these are all very true. Um, but I also know that there's just only some things that can be learned when they try it. Um, and I feel when, at least in my life, when the generation before me, when they opened up the table and they shared. Um, and they shared their resources, they shared responsibility, and they allowed room for some mistakes, right? And I feel like if we allow some of these younger leaders the chance to try certain things and give them the grace to learn and make mistakes and also uh, offer an environment where they can make some mistakes um, and learn from it at a young age. I got all my stupid out in my early 20s. Um, because I had a mentor that's, that had me start preaching at 17. Um, and I made so many mistakes, right? But then he offered um, an atmosphere where I could learn or where I could grow. Um, and I feel like if we just keep putting, keeping them in the lab uh, for so long and hoping by the time that they're 30 that they'll be amazing, I feel like um, they're just kind of, they're, there's a lot of things and a lot of wisdom that cannot be taught. But it just has to be caught as they as they are just in it, right? So, um, just yeah, like I think that on a practical level, offering that space to bridge that gap would be really great. So yeah, important. I think it's to add on to that. I just think Gen Zers are intimidating to older people, also. So we got to acknowledge that. Oh my God, you guys are scary. Look at you. You're so intimidating. <laughs> You're so confident. Got your J's on. I mean, y'all leather pants. Like yo. Another, uh, oh, millennials, you don't even want to start on them. Uh, oh my goodness. But, but it's, a, but, but don't think for older people that, they don't, a lot of people assume you don't want to be mentored. Or you don't want so those voices. Or you don't, cause you're so confident and you got so many answers, so it feels that way. Our therapist was talk, talking to us about, um, teenage kids and she said, when, when they feel the furthest away, that's probably when they need you the most. But they're not communicating that. So the temptation as a parent is, like, well, let me just pull back. Let me just give you some space. And our therapist was like, the last thing they need at that point is space. Um, they need you to lean in in those moments the hardest, although they feel the furthest. And I think that's a word for older generations. When the younger generation feels so far away, they just need us to lean in. Yes. They need us to lean in. Yeah. Yes, that's... A really good word because mutually leaders who have been in the game of ministry 
for decades are so intimidating to us, right? And it's it's that awkward first crush you have, right? Where like you're in middle school and you both really want to sit at the same lunch table, but nobody wants to ask, right? That in so many ways feels like what's happening between generations is that we have a generation that is desperately longing for spiritual mothers and fathers. Desperately. And we have a generation who's looking at the future and saying, I don't know if they they fully understand what we've gone through to build what the church is today. But no, neither of us are taking the first step. And so I would say if you're Gen Z in the room, because I'm I'm your generation, I can speak to you. It's okay for us to take the first step, too. I remember when I was uh, 20 there was a woman who was a, a pastor and a speaker who lived in my area. Her name's Aubrey Sampson, and I thought she was so cool. She's about 15 years older than me and just awesome speaker, had written a book, you know, traveled all over, planted a church with her husband. She was just cool, and I just wanted to be like her. And there were some other girls my age in my local church, and we all wanted to be like her. And and they would all say, man, I, Aubrey is my dream mentor. We would all talk about it. And and then one day I just realized, well, none of them are asking. So so I went up to her and I said, hey, Aubrey, my name's Hannah, and I really want to be like you when I grow up. Could you spend time with me and mentor me? And she said, I don't have a lot of time, but if you want to come over to my house and you're okay with there being Cheerios all over the floor and you're chill if my kids are playing in the background and, and it's okay if sometimes this means you can just come with me to Target while I'm grocery shopping and I talk to you then. If you're okay with that kind of discipleship, then yeah, I'll mentor you. And she's been my personal disciple or mentor for the last eight years and now her and her husband mentor us together. And so I... I just want to say if you're a Gen Z or a younger person in any way that wants to learn from older people, it's okay to ask. It's okay to ask. And if you're a senior leader, the next generation is hungry for what you have, even if you don't dress the same, look the same, talk the same. They don't want the fashion of you. They want the Jesus in you. And you you can give that to them no matter how different you feel that you are. Okay, in that in that light, there was a question well, I want to go to this question right here. Um, oh, that one right there. It's partly cut off. It says, what is one piece of advice you could give for those who are first going into ministry? First going into ministry. Um, I think being open. Um, as in to say, I remember when I went into ministry, I thought, well, there were one, I didn't know any female pastors personally, um, but there would be one or two that you would hear of, and I thought I had to be just like her. Um, and I think we could still attribute that today, thinking we want to be this person, we want to be that person, and we start to prematurely pigeonhole ourselves. And I feel like when you first start into go into ministry, you actually have zero idea what you are amazing at yet. You have zero idea what you even like. Um, I think we think we know what we like and we think we know how we are the best activated. But I feel like just being open um, and just being humble enough to try everything. 
um, it's so funny because I grew up and so my, my dad's side, they're all like singers, like voice coaches and everything. And it's, I, I have a sister and I remember my mother would always be like, uh, the gene skipped over faith. <laughs> Like the, the gene went to her sister, but it skipped over faith, right? And so growing up, I would never touch like worship ministry. I didn't think I had anything to do with it. I'd preach, I'd teach, I'd do all these things. But I remember like mid twenties, um, you know, like just because like I was building a ministry that needed a worship team. I remember I started to get very involved with that and realizing over time, oh, I have a gift of worship. I have, and I had no idea. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think we just pigeonhole ourselves because we're like this, we're like that, that we have nothing to do with this. Um, and so whenever I build a new ministry or start a new church or whatnot, I'm always involved with the worship team. People don't know, you know, people don't know that, but I'm always involved with the worship team and activating that. And I feel like sometimes we, um, yeah, we just prematurely p- pigeonhole ourselves. I would say being humble enough to know that, hey, you might be good at other things other than preaching. So let's hear a little something. Come on. A little, come on, a little song, a little something. Um, I think if you're going into ministry, you need to understand um, you're not going into a career, you're going into a calling. Um, one of the worst things that's happened with um, institutionalization of ministry is that it's become more of a career than a calling. Um, and you think that ministry is about a job uh, or a certain salary or a certain package. Or, it's, a, it's a calling. Um, and it's hard to quit a calling. It's hard to leave a calling and go become a, a barista at Starbucks. Um, but it's easy to leave a, a ministry career. So I feel like make sure as you go in that you understand that God's hand is on your life and he's called you to fulfill a purpose and a mission. He's not called you to go into a certain industry to pursue a career. And those are hugely distinct differences because there are times when it will get hard and if it was a job, you would quit. But if it's a calling, then you stay faithful, knowing that you didn't call yourself, so you can't quit yourself. So sitting in that and before the presence of God and accepting the call to ministry, I would say would be a great place to spend some time, lest you end up in a career of ministry, which inevitably you might end up falling out of. Yeah. Powerful. Can we thank our speakers here for a minute? So valuable. Thank you for listening to this Exponential podcast episode. Visit Exponential.org for more resources and join our community of like-minded leaders, pastors, and planters who believe in healthy multiplication.